welcome everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host, Carson Brabber, and today we're going to be talking a good deal of tennis because obviously we have the Monte Carlo Open, which has just started up, but we're only a couple days in there, so there's really not that much to dive into just yet. So what we're going to focus on for the first part of the show is actually just sort of a broader theme that I touch on a lot on this show. I talk about the young guys a bunch because I think that if you look at the next next generation of tennis, if you will, the guys who are in their really early 20s, even in their teens, what they're doing right now is so impressive. It is so much more exciting in a lot of ways than anything that has been done by the so-called next generation of the team Zverev, what have you, era, as far as where they are in their development track considering their age. It's been so remarkable that I talk about it a lot. But today what I want to do is actually sort my thoughts out there because this was another week in which we had some young guys do some really impressive stuff. Alcaraz made the semifinals in a tournament. He became the youngest semifinalist in any tournament since Zverev back when he was 17. Alcaraz, of course, is 17 as well. We had Musetti making the quarters of a tournament last week at just 19. So I want to officially take my five guys under 21, who I think are the best, and put them in order. So instead of just talking about how much I love them all, now I'll actually be held to account having this on the record and saying, all right, this is the guy I believe in the most, followed by him, followed by him, etc., etc. So let's start from the bottom, at number five. And again, these are guys under 21 exclusively. So Shapovalov, for example, not on this list, although I will maybe compare him to the guy I have in the top spot because I think those are the two talents who still sort of stand out above the rest right now. But I have Sebastian Corda in my five spot, and he is really a recent riser. Obviously began his prominence on tour with a great run at the French Open last year, making it to the fourth round, and has continued it with some really strong play this year. Now he turns 21 in July, world number 62 right now, but he's 10-4 and four on the season, 4-2 and two versus top 30 guys, which I think is a really impressive number. You just don't see young guys actually beating the best of the best like that that often, and I think it's just reflective of a maturity in his game and a versatility in his game that we just haven't seen from another American in my sentient lifetime. Now, obviously, that's post-Andy Roddick, really, is what I can actually speak to. I can't even really speak to a Sam Querrey or Donald Young, but I don't know that those guys were ever as well-rounded as Corda is right now. And a major part of that is he plays on clay like no other American. And I can say that confidently, basically just on the French Open performance, where he made the fourth round in his first try, and it's not like we've seen him do anything else there. I don't believe he's played another single clay court match actually on the tour level, but that was enough to convince me. Isner's never been past the fourth round at the French. Query's never been to the fourth round at the French. He's won five career matches there. Marty Fish never made the fourth round. The last American man... To make the quarters at the French was Andre Agassi in 2003. We're talking about two decades now of American incompetence on clay. And this guy comes out and makes the fourth round in his first pass and is taken down by Rafa Nadal. And I hate to break it to you, but everybody was getting taken down pretty convincingly by Rafa Nadal when the French came around last year. So I just think he's a really impressive talent. He's comfortable on all surfaces. He's a really good mover. Got great power from the ground. As I've said before, I think there's room for growth with his serve at six foot five. So I don't know that he has a world number one ceiling or anything. I'm not comfortable saying that yet. I do think he's good from both sides, and I do think that he's dependable and also, again, has that big, aggressive side of his game at 6'5". And so that all bodes very well. I would probably need to see a little bit more out of the serve to give him that kind of ceiling, but I do think he's going to be a top 10 guy, and I think that that's pretty darn impressive. There haven't been that many guys in the past couple decades who have actually broken through into the top 10, considering that three or four of those spots have been basically always occupied by the same guys. And we're starting a new era where that is no longer going to be the case. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I'm excited for it. I love the dominance of the big three. 
I love seeing the best players ever, and I am in no rush to get over with that era. But if these guys can simultaneously challenge while those guys are still at their best or close to their best, that would be pretty awesome. That would be the best of both worlds. And I'm not saying Corda is the guy best equipped to do that, but he's pretty darn good. Okay. My number four guy under 21 years old is certainly the most established out of this group. Actually, maybe not anymore, but he was for quite some time, and that is Felix Ojaliasim, who's world number 21 right now, been ranked as high as world number 17, turns 21 in August, basically the same age as Korda, but definitely further along as far as what he has accomplished, and he's 10-6 and six on the year, just lost in the first round to Garin in Monte Carlo. That was a little bit disappointing, but not really all that disappointing. He was up a break in the first set, so in that respect, he was kind of a letdown, but I would say Garin is certainly the better clay quarter of the two right now. But he was 23 and 19 last year, 33 and 23 in 2019. So again, you break through with maybe your best season in 2019 when he's 18 years old. Very impressive, of course. Has made seven career finals across all three surfaces. He's 500 plus on all three surfaces. Hasn't won the title yet. That's a little bit fluky. Maybe just speaks to the fact that he needs to develop mentally a little bit more. But he's gotten there and he's put himself in positions to execute plenty of times and. Again, you have to understand that this is a guy who's 20 years old still, so you can't hold him to the standard of an established veteran, although it is a little bit disappointing that he's been around for as long as he has and hasn't really taken the leap, and that's part of the reason I think that I don't have him higher. But I would say he has the biggest weapons of anybody here as far as his ability to strike from the ground, as far as being certainly the biggest server, I would say the best volleyer out of this group, up there for just flat-out Raw power from the ground when he flattens it out probably takes that cake as well, although there's another guy or two who would maybe contend. But he also moves very well for 6'4". I mean, a really strong player who I actually said ahead of last year, I thought would end the year in the top 10. That was one of my bold takes. It ended up being that he didn't progress like that. Obviously, we also had a pandemic that complicated that take. But it's not like he was on track to get there anyways. It was kind of a disappointing year. He had some early exits. And really, the thing that holds me back with Felix is just the consistency from the ground. I look at even another big guy like Korda. Korda can roll over a bunch of balls when he needs to in a row and can play that sort of neutral ball heavy, consistent, grind it up style. And Felix isn't quite at that level always. And sure, every guy in tennis can kind of do that, but it's really not his game. And generally, the top, top guys have to have that. I don't remember the last time we saw a guy who was just big serve, big forehand, Really get to the pinnacle of the sport. Delpo, I guess, would be the last one. And Delpo had maybe the greatest forehand of all time and was so exceptional there. And I look at maybe Emilos Raonic as being sort of a similar prototype for what we're seeing from Felix. I think Felix is a more impressive all-around talent, but I also don't think he's going to get the kind of free points off the serve that Milos did, which was so exceptional. And yes, that's a Canadian-to-Canadian comparison. And Felix, maybe I shouldn't cap his ceiling at that, but Raonic is also a guy who's been to a slam finals, been... I believe number three in the world. And so maybe that's just what Felix is going to be. He's not going to be that world number one. That's kind of what I'm thinking right now. And we saw that inconsistency from the ground versus Garin. He has 45 on four stairs, 28 off the forehand. And you just need to understand when to settle down and not beat yourself. And I think that's what he is still trying to really figure out in his game. He's also 2-14 and 14 versus top 10 guys. Just a bit weird. Again, speaking to his performance in the big moments thus far, is that a long-term concern for a 20-year-old? I don't know. He's also lost in the first round of four of the seven slams he's been to. So one of the biggest spots in the finals against the top 10 guys in the slams hasn't always done his best. I'm not really going to hold that against him, though. It's just, I think, although he has achieved... Maybe the most of anybody here. He's been around the longest. I think he has some of the most notable, noticeable flaws to his game. Also, some of the most noticeable upside. And so it's tough for me to have him down here at four, knowing what he's capable of on his best day. But 
it's just a little bit harder for me to see him grinding out those big wins compared to the other guys. And also maybe there's bias here just because he has been around longer. And so I've seen those flaws develop more. I've built higher expectations and then been let down. Whereas these other guys, it's just expectations building, expectations building. Every performance is exciting. If Musetti gets to the quarters of a 250, that's exciting. If Felix loses in the finals of a 250, it's kind of a shrug moment. And so there's definitely a different standard there. But I have him here at four, and I'm sticking with it right now. My number three spot, though, is the guy who I just mentioned, and that is Musetti, who I fell in love with immediately when he burst onto the scene in Rome. He beat Stan, he beat Nishikori, and I just thought, man, that dude is a remarkable clay quarter, but also won a Junior Australian Open and has had success on hard thus far, too. He's world number world number 84 right now, just turned 19 a month ago, very, very young. That's a little bit over a year younger than Felix, which definitely matters at this stage in development. 7-4 and four on the year, just lost to Karatsev in Monte Carlo, and Karatsev was unbelievable in that match. He was just belting forehands and backhands, honestly. His pace is still unbelievable, but Musetti didn't look rattled. He didn't look outmatched. He just didn't have the level to elevate to and ultimately beat Karatsev on that day, but I don't know that you can ask that of him when almost nobody's been able to do that to Karatsev as of late, even if it is on clay. It's still, the power was pretty outstanding. But if you look at what he did last week, first off, beats Dennis Novak 0-1. That was a dominant performance against the guy who, yes, is certainly not towards the top tier of professional tennis, but has been around and is a man playing this sport. Then beats Dan Evans 7-6 in the third. That was a great win against a great player. Not a great clay quarter necessarily, but nevertheless a big win in a big spot. And just, I've talked about his game a lot technically, so we don't need to get into great detail, but absurd defensively, so steady from the ground. I just think shapes such a nice ball so consistently. The pace, the depth, the action on it, the topspin is so reliable, and that's generally an indicator of a pretty good player. And he does have great power. He can attack. He can hit these crazy shots flat out on the run where you just think that's absurd. He's got a big one-hander that he can just drill. And so my concern with him, I guess, would be does his top level get to that of some of the other guys on this list? Because he definitely does have that defensive instinct. At the same time, I think you let him get set and he can pull dudes off the court. I've said that he's a little bit Rafa reminiscent in the sort of heavy topspin ball that he hits really off the forehand side in particular. Obviously, that's a flattering comparison that he probably hasn't earned just yet. But I do think going to be a really good clay quarter, going to be good across all surfaces. I have the utmost faith. I do still think he has number one player in the world ceiling. I honestly may not be quite as astounded in some ways by his talent as I was when he first burst onto the scene. And I think that before this past week, I might have had him number two here, and the margins are very slim here, and again, I'm just kind of getting a sense of all these guys continually as they develop, so maybe it's too soon for this list, but I want to go out there and do it right now and give myself something that I have to stick to as far as my hierarchy of these guys, but I just think he's so consistent. It's going to be so tough to beat him long term, so, so tough, and yeah, I wish he could do more with the serve. I wish that most of these guys could do more with the serve, even Korda, again, at 6'5", I wish he could do more with the serve right now, and we'll see if that comes, but the man is a phenomenal talent and I think will be a top five player and has the potential to certainly do even more than that. And I'm trying to think about who his comparison would be. In some ways, maybe he's reminiscent of a younger team. Obviously, the one-hander lends itself to that comparison. But when team wasn't quite as aggressive, when he was a little more comfortable on clay, now I don't know that Musetti will ever be able to strike the ball with the kind of pace and power that team has where he flattens it out and their backhands are certainly different, although they are both one-handers. But I don't know. That's an interesting comparison that I've just come up with myself. So that's number three. Number two, 
I have a guy who, again, before this past week, maybe I would have had behind Musetti. But I have Carlos Alcaraz here. And I just think what Alcaraz has done as of late is too impressive to deny. He's world number 118, and he'll be 18 in a month. Still a 17-year-old, this guy. He's 6-5 and five on the year. Just beat Rud 2-4 and four last week. That's absurd. Casper Rud is one of the best clay court players in the world, and he did away with him. And what's so remarkable about Alcaraz is the progression of what he is today versus what he was a year ago. It is stunning. When he first came out and beat Ramos Vinolas and did it at 16 years old, and that was a huge deal, and I talked about it plenty on this show, believe you me, before the world shut down, I thought this is really fun. Maybe he's a future top 20 guy, but I couldn't really say yet what he was going to be because he was still a boy. I mean, it looked like he was playing junior tennis in a lot of ways. It was a lot of really... High margin, high probability shots, good defense. And yeah, he could whip out a big shot every once in a while. Wasn't serving big, though. He was a 16-year-old, and it showed. And now, I think he looks like a future world number one. The growth has been tremendous from him. Brilliant defensively still, an effortless mover, just melds with the court in that way. Laterally is so smooth, so quick. But his instinct is to attack. And that's a fundamental difference, I think, between him and Musetti that makes me lean Alcaraz a little bit more. I think that... His forehand looks like it is going to be a top 10 one on tour, and I think could go higher than that. Just ridiculous power and control. He can run around it, flatten it out, angle it off effortlessly. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal shot. He's got great hands, great control. Just such a refined game, and he's 17 years old. And I just think that forehand is a weapon that, again, Musetti doesn't have, but he has a consistency level that nobody below him has except for maybe Musetti as well. And I love the aggressiveness. I love the age, too. I mean, the guy is 17 years old. The room for growth is absurd. He's the youngest semifinalist since Zverev. And Zverev is a guy who probably didn't grow as much as he could have, considering certainly the physical tools that he was given. And Alcaraz may not have that, but I would say he has the kind of game that is just so projectable to winning at the highest level. It really is. He can do everything well. And when you can do everything well, you're going to win a lot of matches and he can already do everything well at 17. Again, I wish maybe there were more free points off the serve. His serve has gotten bigger, no doubt about that, as he's gotten stronger. Could still get bigger from here. I don't think it's ever going to be a primary weapon, but it doesn't absolutely have to be. I mean, Rafa has managed to be one of the best players of all time without the serve as a primary weapon. You can do it, and a couple of these guys are probably going to have to find a way to do that. So Alcaraz takes the number two spot. A massive leap for him considering where he was a year ago again when he first burst onto the scene. But number one... I don't think it's really all that close right now. Maybe it should be closer. Maybe I should give Alcaraz more credit for just being 17 because, again, there's so much room for growth there. And by the way, crazy thing about Alcaraz is I think he peaked at the number 20 junior in the world. He wasn't on the level of a Musetti as a junior or a Sebastian Corda, guys who were the top junior in the world. But the guy who I have at number one is ultimately the guy who has done the most lately by far, and that is Yannick Sinner who was recently the youngest Masters 1000 finalist since Rafa Nadal. Anytime you are the first anything since Rafa Nadal, that is going to turn some heads, obviously, and has won a title on the year, has just been on fire since the French Open of last year. And I just think nobody else out of this group has this combo of power and consistency where Sinner rips his ground strokes, but he's reliable, he's dependable, he can serve big as well, bigger than most guys on this list. And he's basically 19 and a half years old with... Two titles in a 28-8 record since, again, the French Open started last year, and he made it to the quarters there, and in the first set gave Rafa Nadal about as good of a run for his money as anybody did. And by the way, I don't think Clay is necessarily his best surface. He's 3-6 and six versus top 10 guys. 
That's pretty darn good. If you're actually beating the best of the best, that's in that stretch, I believe, or maybe that's in his career, actually. Regardless, every single time that he plays against the top guy, it feels like he either wins or he's right there. And for a while before he really broke through, and honestly before the COVID pause, it felt like he was always right there and he was never getting over the top. And now it feels like he's getting over the top more often than not. One of my bold predictions at the beginning of the year was that he would end the season as a top 15 player in the world. At this point, I would be honestly almost shocked if that didn't happen. He's 22 in the world right now, but so much room for growth and is certainly playing at that level and is, to me, the breakout candidate of the year. If he wasn't already a breakout guy last year, which I would say he really was, had a monumental rise, and I think is going to be a world number one. I think he's going to be a slam champion. I think the same can be said for Alcaraz. I'm just not quite as confident. And I think maybe you could say the same could be said for Musetti. And I don't think I've ever expressed that level of confidence in anybody, really, since the Big Three era. And part of that may be because, obviously, the previous generations had to go through peak Big Three guys for a long time. And now we are looking at the generation that is going to know a world in which the Big Three legitimately doesn't exist. Even if Rafa and Djokovic are at the top of their game for another four years or whatever, you're talking about Sinner being 23 when those guys are done. You're talking about Alcaraz being 21. So they are going to know a world for a long time without those guys, and they are going to run that world and I think are going to do it very well. So there it is. There's my top five. Sinner number one, Alcaraz number two, Musetti number three, Felix number four, Korda number five. Now, I will compare Denis Shapovalov to this group right now because he is 21, but obviously is also in some ways the most talented maybe and should be the successor to what the big three have done. When it comes down to Sinner versus Shapovalov, I still think they're kind of in a, a tier of their own. I do think Shapovalov is the more phenomenally talented player. I don't think I could take him over Sinner right now. And I think that until Shapovalov puts it all together and finds a way to grind out those wins when he's not slapping winners all over the court and just stabilize mentally and not lose matches that he just shouldn't lose, I don't think that I can take him as the best guy out of this group. And I don't think he's going to be disappointing necessarily. He should be a world number one. He should be a slam champion. No doubt about that. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. But he hasn't quite seen the growth in the past year and a half or whatever that some of these guys have. And yeah, it's easier to make the initial leap to be a top 30, top 20 guy than it is to make the leap from top 20 to top 10, obviously. And none of these guys have made that leap to the top 10 yet. A lot of them haven't even made that leap to the top 20, top 30. Really, only Sinner and Felix have done that. And Felix, again, is another guy who hasn't been able to make the leap to the top 10 yet. Obviously, Shapovalov will make that. He will be among the best players in the world and should be the best player in the world at some point. But I don't have him over center right now. And that, to me, is going to be a phenomenal rivalry to watch for years to come. So, there it is. There's the official rankings. You heard it here first. And you will only hear it here because they're my rankings, so it would be kind of weird if anybody else gave them. But on the other half of the break, we're going to do some quick talking about some storylines that stand out to me in Monte Carlo. Again, we're early in the tournament, but I still think there is some fun stuff to look at, so we will do just that. After a quick break, you're listening to Down the Line on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that brief break. was not a break from the sound of my voice because I played both of my own promos because I really like both those promos. And so I hope that you all enjoyed them as well. And if you heard the man from the steel mill referencing the tennis radio show that he wanted to listen to, that is this one. It is down the line. And I am Carson Brabber. So 
as I mentioned on the other side of the break, going to touch on some of the storylines here in Monte Carlo right now that I think have stood out to me, and I just did my top five guys under 21. There is a guy who was barely too old for that list at 21, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who really is in the midst of an impressive tournament. 21 years old, again, but off to a phenomenal start having just beaten Diminar and then having beaten Berrettini in consecutive matches. So, not necessarily a full-on storyline in my opinion, but certainly an impressive start. Here are the storylines I have, though. First of all, who is going to come out of the bottom quarter of this draw with Medvedev now out of the picture? Now, for those of you who don't know, Daniil Medvedev tested positive for COVID, is currently in isolation, and hope and pray that, first of all, he is okay, obviously, but also that this does not spread further within the tournament and that we don't have any sort of cancellation. That would be a massive bummer if we lost two Masters 1000s in the year, having already lost Indian Wells. And so hopefully that doesn't happen. But what it has done is really open up this section of the draw. And the top seed left there is Schwartzman. And he's versus Casper Rudd in the second round, who, in my opinion, is the second best clay quarter in this section. I love Casper Rudd, and I think that he is very consistently good on this surface. Schwartzman leads that head-to-head forward to nothing, but they've really only met once when Rudd has been at the peak of his powers, as he's been over the past year plus. And so I think that could be a really good match. A couple of little guys. Clay quarters, scrapping it out. I shouldn't say clay quarters because Schwartzman is excellent on hard as well. But you also have Fognini. You have Carreño Busta in this section. You have Kachanov. So it's kind of up for grabs. If I had to put my money on somebody, I'd probably say Schwartzman. Part of me also wants to say Rude, but that may be a little bit of favoritism there. Regardless, I think that is the match to watch in that section right now. And I think that that whole section is going to be fun to watch unfold. And somebody is going to get a lot of points, 360 to be exact. And that is going to matter quite a bit in the rankings for that person. Here's another storyline for you. Not quite as big of a deal, but how does Mr. Sonego defend his title? And now, for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm talking about Lorenzo Sonego, who just won a title last week in Sardinia which bumped him all the way up to world number 28, which is kind of weird for a guy with less than 50 career wins at 25 years old, and that's what he is, but here he is, and he's climbed up to that point, and he scrapped his way to a title there, as you would kind of expect a guy of his stature to do. He beat Yannick Kampfman in three sets, beat Taylor Fritz in three sets, then beat Laszlo Jere in three sets, so a bunch of battles there. Came back from a set down in two of them, and an interesting player, not the most textbook strokes, varies the pace a little bit, likes to throw in a drop shot. Definitely a guy who I think projects well on clay for the most part. I mean, one of his career titles is also on grass, and so he's proven himself there, although we really just, by the standards of a 25-year-old, haven't seen all that much of Sonego to begin with. But he begins his follow-up campaign with a win over Fuksovics in Monte Carlo. That's a very good win. Fuksovics is a phenomenal player. And now he's got Zverev. So this is a storyline that maybe will be rather short-lived and probably will be rather short-lived because I don't see him beating Zverev. But it's interesting to track, and it's always fun to see how these late bloomers develop and grow because... Feels like we're getting a few more of them, and it's not like he's super relevant on tour. I don't think he's nearly as good as, for example, Karatsev, who was the pinnacle of late blooming this year in men's tennis. But nevertheless, you're a top 30 guy, you win a title, you follow it up with a good win, and it's interesting to see where you go from there. Now, just mention Zverev. Here's another storyline for you. Can either Tsitsipas or Zverev take out Djokovic? Because... Those are the two guys who Djokovic will probably have to go to to get to the final here. With Medvedev out, who was in the bottom section with Rafa... With team just not in this tournament to begin with, with Federer not in this tournament to begin with, Djokovic has three of the four highest seeded guys in the tournament in his half, and bad luck of the draw, Zverev is also in his quarter. So again, he's probably going to have to go through both those guys. And since he passes two and four against Djokovic in his career, Zverev is two and six. Neither of them have beaten him in a couple years, but both a couple of very solid clay quarters. So 
it'll be interesting to see how they do there. A couple guys who I don't know if you could say are defensive, but will maybe force Djokovic to attack in that matchup. Certainly, I would expect that from Zverev and Tsitsipas. I feel like it's probably going to be both of them attacking, and that would be the case for Zverev as well, just maybe leaning a little more Djokovic. But it's just generally a really tough draw for Novak. He also has to go through Sinner in the second round which is going to be an awesome match, probably the match of the second round. Then he's likely going to have to go through Rukash in the third round, who just won Indian Wells. That's assuming that he beat Sinner, of course. And Rukash would have to beat Dan Evans, a very good player. And maybe Rukash isn't a great clay quarter historically, but that's not an easy match. This is a guy who just won a Masters 1000, and so there's just not an easy match in Novak's whole draw because then you're getting into Zverev, Tsitsipas, and presuming Rafa from the bottom half. So that would be a really impressive Masters 1000 run. Obviously, always, the talent is concentrated in these 56 draws, and that's part of what's so great about it. But when you have three of the top five guys in tennis missing, but you still have to go through a path like that, it's a little bit more impressive, I would say, just because the best of the best aren't all there, but you're still facing a lot of the really, really good players on tour. And then final storyline for you here. This is the obvious one. Can Rafa Nadal get his 12th title here in Monte Carlo, and can he tie Djokovic for the Masters 1000 record? It would be 36 apiece for both of them. Rafa won eight straight titles here in Monte Carlo from 2005 through 2012, has only won three of the last seven. I say as if it's unimpressive to win almost half of the tournaments where there's a 56 draw of the best players in the world competing, but that is the standard that we have established for Rafa. It's kind of, you expect him to win every time out in some of these clay court tournaments, and outside of the French, Monte Carlo has been his very best of the bunch, but the head-to-head between these two at Monte Carlo is actually two apiece, and Djokovic has won the last two, but it's also been six years since they've played here, and Djokovic has won a couple titles here, 2013, 2015, both in that stretch again since It no longer became just automatic Rafa, but it still feels like automatic Rafa in a lot of ways, and that is certainly the expectation that he wins. We'll see. The head-to-head between them is 29-27 Djokovic right now. Always fun to see that gap either narrow itself or get a little bit wider, see who can give themselves that advantage in the GOAT debate, and hopefully that's the final we get. That's what I root for, honestly, in pretty much every tournament is a Rafa-Djokovic final because it's the best tennis that there is, especially when Team Medvedev-Federer aren't there. And so it's a big opportunity for Rafa, obviously. 12 titles at a Masters 1000 just is not done. It has never been done. But Rafa is the kind of guy who does it because on clay court, he is just a beast like we have never seen on any other surface in this sport in any era ever. And of course, that's pretty much his case for the greatest of all time. So there it is. I hope you had your pencil out. I hope you were taking some notes. That's what you want to look for there. And I hope that you also wrote down my top five list of the guys under 21 because I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I think that maybe it's a little controversial how low I had Felix, but I don't know. I have confident in I have confidence in the real young guys, and this is a generation of tennis I'm very excited for, and this is a tournament that I'm very excited for. So, as always, enjoy some of the tennis this week. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Carson Breber. This was Down the Line. You are listening to Blaze Radio on BlazeRadioOnline.com.